Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Follow us on social media at Legacy Church GA or visit lcga.info to learn more. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are, if you're wondering why I, you know, if you, must, if you uh, looked at me and thought it was Matt Ryan, it's not. It's me. You know, I know we, we probably look very similar in athletic build. And uh, so, yeah, today is, uh, you know, there's something happening later that people are generally interested in, and that's why you see us just in, in engaging in that, wearing some jerseys or, or T-shirts of our favorite teams and things like that. So uh, that's, that's why I'm wearing this. I've never spoken or taught in, in a jersey, so this is a first, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, uh, I want to ask you, I'm curious, have you ever been disappointed when, you know, maybe you didn't get an invite to the party. Uh, maybe you uh, were in elementary school. You know, I remember a time when I was in elementary school, not everybody in the class was guaranteed to get an invitation. You know, in that day, it was like, kid comes in, has birthday invitations, and you weren't necessarily guaranteed to get one. And so there was always that moment of, oh, am I going to get one of the invitations to the party? And sometimes I would not get one. I know, it's your sympathy. Just go ahead and thank you. Thank you. I know it's shocking. I was not invited to every single uh, party in, in elementary school. And maybe you've had an experience like that. And maybe it wasn't a birthday party, but maybe it was another type of event or gathering that you knew it would happen. And you knew it happened and you... We're waiting for that invitation and, and anticipating it even, but it just didn't come. Think back to how you felt. Okay, maybe a lot of sadness in the room right now. But, but I think the point is that we all have this desire to be included, don't we? We all want to receive an invitation. We all want to be liked. We, we don't, when we don't get that invitation, there's a feeling of maybe exclusion. Like, oh man, I... I I thought I was going to get included in that. And, and it's almost like we're on the outside looking in. And, and there might have been a plausible explanation that, you know, maybe someone, you know, they didn't intend to exclude us or they just forgot about us, but it still doesn't feel good. It's never fun to not get an invitation, right? But, but it's one thing to be excluded from the elementary school birthday party or that gathering that you knew was happening, but 
It's another thing to be excluded or exclude others in the church. Uh, We are continuing our series today, Kingdom Economics, where we are talking about how God has called us to see our resources as not just uh, you know, our own personal growth, but also transformation in the world around us. And that transformation involves all of our life. And last week we talked about kingdom economics beginning with the worship of Jesus as king. That it starts with that and the, the practical application of that was to, to live a generous life and, and we encourage one another to begin to take steps to grow in our generosity. If you remember last week, we made a distinction about kingdom economics from earthly economics. We said earthly economics operates to use resources for our satisfaction, that that is the ultimate goal of of earthly economics. Our desires, our wants, our satisfaction. But kingdom economics is very different. In kingdom economics, the focus is on stewarding resources. And it begins with worship of Jesus as King, as seeing everything that we have is ultimately from God. It's His anyway. And and God has called me to steward what He's given me for His purposes in King Jesus' creation. See, that's a very big difference. See, the aim, I want to illustrate it this way, the aim of earthly economics is individual success and security. The focus is always on the individual, what I want. But kingdom economics, the focus is on the community, is on the good of the community. What is good for the whole? That is the aim. And my place in kingdom economics is to use my resources and my gifts to bless others in the church and in the world. You see the difference? If you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back, watch it on our website. You can catch it on demand. But the aim of kingdom economics is the community and not the individual. And it begs this question. Am I including everyone in the community? You see, in kingdom economics, Jesus introduces a new way of forming a new community. He introduces a radically new, inclusive community, one in which anyone who seeks to follow Jesus is now included and invited into a new family. And this new family transcends all racial and ethnic boundaries, socioeconomic backgrounds, and status. In this new community, the Apostle Paul put it this way, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3. So there is no defining differences when we come into this new family. That meant that the defining differences that marked us before we became part of this new family are now erased and they are replaced with a unity in Jesus. That to be included in this new community, there's only one requirement, and that is faith in Jesus, and that is it. See, Jesus instituted this radical new community, the the church, that is to be known as the very picture of God's radically inclusive nature. See, God's radically inclusive nature is part of who he is. It's part of his core, his, his very 
essence is radically inclusive. And so when you and I welcome every person into this new spiritual family that Jesus has instituted, we are embodying the very welcoming nature of God himself. See, Jesus gives us a picture of what this new community will look like in Luke chapter 5. And all throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has meals with all different types of people. He has meals with his disciples. He has meals with outsiders. He has meals with sinners. He has meals with religious figures. And he's often criticized about who he, who he eats with. And in Luke chapter 5, it's one of, those, one of those circumstances. It says this in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Now I know this is, we can't relate to this because we've never heard church people complain, but just try to put yourself <laughs> in the scenario here. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I don't know if you're a fan of Japanese steakhouses where you, you go in and you're all sitting around the table and the, and the flat top grills in the middle, and it's very likely that you'll be seated with people you don't know. Now, some of us in the room, we like that. We like to maybe strike up a conversation with random strangers, and, and maybe we discover there are some commonalities during the course of the meal. And others of us, maybe that's a little uncomfortable for us. We don't necessarily love to be sitting at the same table with people we don't know. And, and that conversation can go one of two ways. It can go really well, or we maybe even, you know, strike up a conversation and, and and there's a friendly back and forth, or it can be kind of, you know, silence, where we don't necessarily talk to the other group, and, and they just kind of eat, and they're having their own conversation, and we're over here just having our own conversation. I think it just depends on our personality. The extroverts, you know, among us, we're like talking to those people, we're just getting into the conversation. The introverts are kind of nervous about that, and we're just eating the fried rice, and, you know, and all that stuff, but... But I think it depends on our comfort level. But if we're uncomfortable with eating a meal with strangers, I think we can take it to the next level and think about, you know, what would it be like eating a meal with people that don't look like you, that don't act like you, that don't believe the same things that you believe, that maybe even offend you on some level, people that you would never associate with, that you might say, oh, I never would hang out with that person. That's the kind of people that Jesus hung out with and that Jesus shared meals with. And that's the setting that Jesus enters into here in Luke chapter 5. It says, Levi threw this party. Levi, we know, is Matthew, the author of, this, of the Gospel of Matthew. That he has this encounter with Jesus and his life is changed. 
His life is completely turned around 180 degrees. And what happens when something significant in your life takes place? You want to celebrate it, right? And so Matthew encounters Jesus and he's radically transformed and he goes home and he throws a party. Now, Matthew had a job that's not very popular. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors in this day were basically tasked by the Romans with extorting their own people. See, they would keep a a little bit off the top for themselves and they would extort their own people, the Jewish people. And so Matthew was that, that was his job. So imagine a family member of yours or maybe a close friend that worked for the IRS. I'm just kidding. I don't If anybody works for the IRS, you know, we're, we love you. We, we you know. <clears throat> but tax collectors were very much hated because of that. And Matthew had this party. He's celebrating his newfound life in Jesus. And, and he has this newfound life, but he's still got the same friend group. He didn't just kind of get rid of the relationships and say, I can't talk or associate with any of you now that I'm following Jesus. He went back and he invited those same people that he associated and had relationships with before Jesus. Those same people that were tax collectors, they were also hated. They were sinners. And I love the explanation there. See, the scripture just refers to them as others. It's like, they were there, and then, were the, the, then the others were there. And then that question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, some translations say the Pharisees began grumbling to the disciples. I kind of, I, I like that. We know that as complaining. Grumbling. You can just imagine they were kind of over to the side, grumbling, just sort of, can you, can you believe this? I don't know. He didn't mention anything about these people being here. And this, I, <clears throat> we didn't talk about this last week, and now he's over here eating with all these people. That just, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. That's grumbling. I'm doing grumbling right now. And they were grumbling and complaining. You want to know the quickest way to kill the excitement and kill a move of God? It's to grumble and complain. Guaranteed, every time, every time you see a move of God, someone comes to faith in Jesus, the quickest way to kill that, to kill the quench the spirit, is to grumble and complain. Quickest way to kill the excitement in a church is to grumble and complain. That's what's happening here. See, Matthew is a transformed person and he throws a party to celebrate that and the religious people have a problem with that. And they grumble and complain. Why were they upset? I mean, shouldn't we be celebrating his newfound faith, his new life in Jesus, that that the old is gone, the new is come? I mean, look at him, he's, he's totally changed. But they were upset. Because when you share a meal with someone, in this culture, it signifies not only a relationship, but a friendship. And it signified acceptance. So they were all stirred up because Jesus is sharing a meal with the others, with those people, with the tax collectors and sinners, and that meant that he was now one of them. There was not just an association, but a relationship and a friendship. Not just an interaction that we have at a hibachi restaurant, but friendship and acceptance. Now think about this meal. Have you ever been invited to a meal 
And you thought, well, I'm not really thrilled to go, but I, I guess I kind of have to go. You know, courtesy, acceptance, like I don't want to offend the person. And they, <clears throat> they've spent the effort to put this together and they've invited me, so I'll go, but I don't really want to go. It wasn't that way in this culture. A shared meal was a big deal. It meant that you were part of the family. You were now included. You were no longer excluded. And I can imagine Jesus standing nearby, hearing their grumbling. And Jesus is right there. You know, sometimes when we're grumbling, we don't realize we can be heard. I can imagine... Maybe that's what it was like. They're over there grumbling. Oh, I can't believe this is going on. Jesus is hearing them, which is not good. You know, if I'm going to grumble and complain in front of Jesus, I'm probably going to hey, say, hey, can we go outside? Can we step out of the room here? I mean, I, don't, I really don't want Jesus to hear this. Because it's never a good idea to complain in front of Jesus. I'm just going to let you know that. So, hey, could you come out? I got something to tell you. You know, let's go out in the lobby. Jesus hears them. You know, maybe don't have a conversation there. You know, I'm just giving some advice to the Pharisees. Like, maybe send an email the next morning. Like, hey, I have some concerns about what, what happened last night at this dinner party. I'd just like to express them. But Jesus hears their grumbling, and he, and he says this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus brings us back to the purpose of the church. That it is not a social club for the saved, but a hospital for the sick. See, a social club caters to the needs and wants of the members, but a hospital is focused on the needs of people who are sick in order for them to get well. A social club gathers people that generally look the same, think the same, act the same, while a hospital welcomes and treats anybody who comes in and has a need. A social club gives preference to those who have, of higher socioeconomic statuses, but a hospital gives medicine to anyone who needs it. See, Jesus shows us how to be a hospital, not to be a social club, and he does that by sharing a meal with others. And what I want us to see is that Jesus changes the way that we see people. He changes the way that we see people. Because when Jesus changes us, it changes how we view others. Because we begin to view others as having the same need that we have for Jesus' grace and His mercy that does not discriminate. See, because to be a hospital for the sick means that we have to embrace the value of being a radically inclusive community. See, the Pharisees were strict separatists. They were obsessed with separating the holy from the unholy, the common from the uncommon. They were serious about maintaining ceremonial purity when it came to people and places and objects and food. They developed this idea of salvation by segregation, a clear dividing line between holy and unholy, the clean and unclean. But see, today I think we've carried that dividing line into the modern church, maybe not intentionally, but by our behavior. Instead of clean and unclean, we have insiders and outsiders. See, the insiders are the ones that look, think, and act like us. They don't really stir up anything. They don't ask questions. They don't, 
they, they don't have much need because we, you know, it's, it's kind of inconvenient to meet those needs. And the outsiders are the ones that don't look like us, don't think like us, don't behave like us, don't vote like us. And see, the problem with this is that we place ourselves in the position of deciding who is an insider and who is an outsider. We try to do God's job. And the result over the years has been thousands of denominations, church fights, political ideologies tied to Christianity, all while there are countless people who are spiritually sick in desperate need of help. So what do we do? What do we do? See, kingdom economics focuses on the community, not our individual success and security. And to be people of the kingdom, we have to become a radically inclusive community. We have to fight against the urge and the temptation to just gather and just bring in and just invite and include people that are just like us in every way. We have to become a radically inclusive community. And I think there's two characteristics of this kind of community that Jesus shows us. The first is that the mission is important and urgent. The mission is important and it's urgent. <clears throat> What's the mission? The mission of Jesus. To go and make disciples, he says. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Take my message out from here into an ever-expanding region. To the ends of the earth. Start with your local community and then expand out from there. That's the mission. Jesus says himself in Luke chapter 4, I, I have not come to, I have come to call the lost to repentance. To seek and save that which is lost. That's the mission of the church. And it is important and it is urgent. And both are needed. Jesus himself says in John 10, I am the good shepherd... I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says, look, look, there's other sheep that are not yet here, that I must bring in. I must. That's important. And it's urgent. We know that life is but a mist. It's, it's a blip. It's here and then it's gone. And, and we've all heard stories of people who, who, you know, we don't know why God allows some to live to be 99 and why God doesn't allow some to live to be 9. And we've all seen and Maybe we know someone who is, who is gone from this life too early and there's always that powerful reminder of the brevity of life when it comes to death, right? That life is short. And in our human, our human nature, we don't think about this until it faces us, until we're faced with the realities of death that life is short. That's why the mission is important and it's urgent. Like we don't have forever in this. Jesus says that there are other sheep that he needs to go out and bring in. Because what, without a shepherd, the sheep are going to do what? They're just going to wander around aimlessly. No purpose, no direction. They need, they need the guidance of Jesus, the loving guidance of Jesus. And they're going to wander around. They're going to be in danger without the shepherd. 
Jesus doesn't say, you know what? I think we got enough sheep here. I mean, we got enough sheep here, too many more sheep, and this, this pen will be too big. I mean, I don't like big sheep pens, you know. I mean, like, the sheep come in, and they just don't, they don't really know everybody in the sheep pen. I want everybody, every sheep in this pen to know the other sheep in this pen. We like it to be kind of small and clo a close-knit sheep pen. You ever heard someone say, I, I like a small church where I know everybody, or, or the church has gotten too big. I, when I walk in on Sunday morning, I don't know everybody in the room. The reality is, once we get above about 20 people, you won't know everybody in the room. You, you can only know so many people. Can you imagine Jesus saying this? That, hey guys, there's too many sheep here. Like It's, it's just gotten too big. You know, the pen is small and we don't know, not all the sheep know each other and we're just not going to bring any more sheep in. See, Jesus is not interested in keeping the sheep happy. He says, there are other sheep, I must bring them in. That's my mission. His mission is about rescuing as many sheep as he can and our mission is the same. Our mission is about rescuing as many people as we can with the message of Jesus, that this is what life is. It's found in him. It's not found in those other things that we chase after, that we run after, that we spend our time, energy, and resources on, that we exhaust ourselves trying to be fulfilled by. It is about life in Jesus, and that is, that is the message, that is the mission. He said, in case we don't, you know, sometimes Jesus repeats himself because he knows, like, sometimes it takes, I don't know, like, if you're like me, it takes several times in some cases before something really sinks in. And he kind of repeats this in Luke 15. If you want to know the mission of the church, just read Luke chapter 15. Lost son, lost sheep, lost coin. If you want to know the mission of the church, read Luke 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so what are we going to do? Do we feel the importance and the urgency of the mission? That there is even one person who has not responded to the message of Jesus. And we don't go and beat down their doors. We don't beat them down with, you know, Bible thumpers. We live the life that Jesus calls us to live. We live like Jesus and we spark the curiosity and we invite the questions and we build the relationship and then we share our story with them. The second characteristic is that life change is celebrated. And so the mission is important and urgent, and life change is celebrated. It's what we celebrate. There's nothing more exciting than getting a front row seat to see someone 
experience life change. Especially if it's the person that we never imagined or dreamed would experience a life change. We're like, oh no, that person wouldn't show up. I mean, they would never come. I mean, I've invited them. They're just, it's, it's not, don't waste your time. You know that person? The person that you're thinking of right now who you think would never, ever set foot in here. Would never come to a small group, would never come to a, a, a gathering. That's the person that Jesus leaves the 99 for. Don't ever say no on God's behalf. Don't say no on God's behalf. But life change is celebrated. And even that person we think would never come to faith, that's who God says, the, he leaves the 99 for that person. See, because when we do that, when we say no for God, we make God small. We minimize God's power by answering for him and saying, no, no, no that person, don't, don't even waste your time. Doesn't seem reasonable or even possible, but see, God, that's his, he's in that business. God is in the business of making the unreasonable happen and the impossible possible. But there is something that we need to do. We do play a part in that. See, leaving the 99 requires that we put the mission of reaching the one front and center and the task of maintaining the comfort of the 99 secondary. You with me on this? That our comforts, our security, our wants are way in the back in favor of reaching the one. That's what that means to us, for us. And so here's my challenge. To become a radically inclusive community, we have to expand our table. We have to expand our table. We have to welcome all into this new spiritual family. And it's really a two-part challenge. By expanding our table, what I mean is that we've got to think about inviting and including others into our life. And maybe for you, it's sharing a meal or a coffee with someone you don't know. Maybe even someone in this room. Now, now a lot of times, it starts in here, too. Because it's very possible that we can be a sort of exclusive community even, when the, even within the church and, and you know, have our little networks and relationships and we, oh, we see that person on Sunday, but we don't really know anything about them. And so maybe for you it starts with just getting to know someone's name who's across this aisle from you this morning. Or maybe it's sharing a meal with a, or coffee with a neighbor or someone you don't know or just getting to know your name. Or think about this. What if God is calling you to reach your neighborhood but it starts with the people who live around you. Can you name the people that live in the eight houses around you? That's where it starts. And if you're, the answer to that is no. This week, I want to encourage you, get to know the names of the eight closest families around you in your neighborhood. Now, don't be weird about it. Don't go over and knock on the door with a clipboard and be writing down their names and asking for information. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay? We've got to ask God to go ahead of us. And so maybe for you it's asking God in prayer 
to give you an opportunity to learn someone's name. Go on a walk in the afternoon or, or after dinner and just ask God, to, God, would you present someone in front of me? Maybe a neighbor's outside getting the garbage or the mail and you can just go by and say, hey, you know, I've lived down the street and I, I, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I don't know your name yet. Maybe it starts there. But we've got to pray and ask God to give us those opportunities. It begins in prayer. But prayer is not an excuse for us not to do anything, okay? It begins in prayer, but it results in action and movement. John Mark Hicks says that Jesus invited all to the table and sat with all. If the table embodies the gospel and bears witness to the gospel, then it should reflect the universal intent of the gospel. And the universal intent of the gospel is that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all are now invited to the table. Regardless of their status, background, where they've been, what they've done, there's a seat at the table for everyone. May we be people who live our lives in that way. May we be people who expand our table. May we embody the radically inclusive nature of God himself and may we seek the importance and the urgency of the mission of Jesus' church. The church invites all to the table to receive grace. Even the unchurched who are turned off or who have tuned out, who've had a bad experience or they went to this church one time and they very legitimately had an experience in which they, did, they witnessed behavior or whatever that was not of God, very ungodly. Even the sinners who feel forgotten, the lonely, the disconnected, the people who are considered outsiders, the weak who need to be carried by the community. The spiritual orphans who are lonely and disillusioned. See, we are called to expand our table, to extend the invitation for others to take their place at the table and experience Jesus. And you know what happens? When we begin to live as a radically inclusive community that Jesus intends, we find the differences between us disappear. And they're small anyway, but they really disappear when we include others in the way of Jesus, because we realize that we're all sick. See, when we hear the words of Jesus that I have not come to call the righteous but sinners, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. When we begin to live as a radically inclusive community, we see ourselves in those words of Jesus. It's no longer, oh, those people, it's us. It's all of us who are sick and in need of his healing. All of us are in need. All of us are finding our way back to God. See, kingdom economics seeks to welcome everyone to the table with everyone coming to the table with something to share. Kingdom economics seeks to create a potluck of fellowship with each person's gifts being valued and important. That's the kind of radically inclusive community that Jesus calls us to be. 
And may you and I become the reason that someone else is seated at the table. We're down the road and they're sharing their story. They mention our name. Because it probably wasn't a sermon. It probably wasn't a song. It probably wasn't a prayer in a service or anything like that. It probably was an invitation to be included. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we confess in our human nature that sometimes, Lord, we, even without intention, are, are exclusive. And God, we, we hear the call today to be a radically inclusive community. God, to invite everyone to the table, that everyone has a contribution to make, and a purpose to find in their seat at the table. And God, may we become that kind, of, that kind of community. God, help us through your power of your spirit to fight against and resist the temptation to just gather with people who are just like us, think like us, act like us, Lord. But we pray right now that you would open the doors and you would give us opportunities to expand our table even today. Or that we would live in the way of Jesus who gave his life so that we may have life. Who left the 99 to go after the one. May we, may we be a church that goes after the one, Lord, with, with passion and urgency and energy. May we be consumed by your mission. That we don't have a thousand years. But with your help, with your power, we can be this kind of community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you have enjoyed this message and pray God's blessing upon you. Remember to follow us on social media at Legacy Church GA or visit lcga.info to learn more.